Hi, welcome to Lighthouse Vineyard Church. Thank you for joining us. If you would like to know more about us, feel free to visit us online at lighthousevineyard.church. Enjoy the message. I've been walking with my face turned to the sun. Many of you don't know slavery firsthand. They groans, seen their tears. We can't just wait for war. I'm Harry Tubman, and I would give every last drop of blood in my veins to free him. When trouble comes, you'll be ready. So I'll do what I gotta do, go wherever I gotta go, until this monster called slavery is dead. Liberty, a death. Hi, I am. Hi. Hi. Hey, I'm Rose Schwartz. I'm one of the leaders here. Thanks for joining us. Hey, if you're online, thanks for hanging out with us and in the beacon as well. So that was Harriet, the story of Harriet Tubman. I think a lot of us know the story of Harriet Tubman. She was a slave in the South. She escaped slavery into the free North. And, um, and then, but that wasn't enough for her. So she went back and freed her husband and her family. And over the course of 19 trips to the South, to free slaves, she freed over 300 people, which is quite remarkable. It's pretty amazing. She risked her life over and over and over and over for her people because she loved her people and she cared about her people. And she was determined that she was going to stand up for these people and go back over and over and risk her life to free her people. But we need more people like that, right? I think too many times we sit by the sidelines and expect other people to do it when we are the ones that, are, that should be stepping up. So we need more people like Harriet Tubman. And so we're in a series called Risk Takers, Finding Courage in an Unpredictable World. And we are talking about modern day heroes and we're talking about biblical heroes. And so today we are talking about Esther, which is a fantastic story. But I'm not going to tell the story about Esther. My friend Melanie Berkey is going to tell the story about Esther because she's a great storyteller. Um, But Melanie, she is over our outreach program, and so she's going to tell the story about Esther. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you, Rose. So I get to tell the story about Esther, and I really enjoyed studying even deeper as I was preparing for, um, for this message today. So a little context before we get started in the story itself. The timeline of Esther is about 470 BC. So this is about 100 years after Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which is who, the risk takers that we studied last week. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in the kingdom of Babylon, 
and um, Esther and the story today is going to be in the kingdom of Persia. Now, the king of the kingdom of Persia, the king of Persia <laughs> is King Xerxes at this time. All right. And so right now the Jews were exiled into this um, kingdom. So the story of Esther starts where King Xerxes throws this really big banquet, this really big party. The Bible says it was like 180 days long. And so during this banquet, he asked for his current queen, Queen Vashti, to come. She was very beautiful, so he called for her basically because she, he wanted to show off her beauty. And so Queen Vashti was not having that. She said no to the king, and the king wasn't having that. So the king was like, okay, well, I'm going to banish you. You're no longer my queen, and you can't be in my kingdom. So the king's advisors started looking for a new queen. And as I was reading this story, the way God works in my brain is putting it in modern day illustrations. And it kept, I kept thinking of like a modern day bachelorette or like Cinderella story, because basically she was there, the, each province had agents all over this kingdom that would seek possible candidates that could be the queen. And they would bring them to the king's people and they would have beauty treatments and makeovers. And then basically the king got to choose who he liked the best. And that was going to be the new queen. So, uh, from the very beginning, Esther was loved. Now, Mordecai, who's our first character of the story today, Mordecai was uh, Esther's uncle. Her parents had died, and he had kind of adopted her um, into his family. And so Mordecai was a Jew, so Esther was also a Jew. And so from the very beginning, she was loved. Here's what Esther 2.9 says. She pleased him and won his favor. This is... Um, Esther winning over kind of the officials. Immediately, he provided her with her beauty treatments and special food. He assigned to her seven female attendants selected from the king's palace and moved her and her attendants into the best place in the harem. So as I was reading this story, you can just see God's favor all over the place and God moving through, through all of Esther's life. So one day, Mordecai was visiting Esther and he overheard the guards uh, of the king's palace, basically plotting to kill the king, plotting an assassination. So he told Esther to tell the king, and so she did. She relayed the message and said that Mordecai um, had, heard, had overheard this in the palace. And so as a result of Mordecai's information, the guards were killed and the king was saved. Now, meanwhile, here's another character. Meanwhile, a man named Haman was promoted as the most powerful official in the empire. So it basically went King Xerxes and then Haman. He was second most powerful. The only person he had to answer to and get approval from was King Xerxes. So when people would see Haman and all of his power, they would bow down to him. Now, Mordecai was a Jew and he was not about that. He did not want to bow down. And that made Haman really, really angry. So Haman got mad at Mordecai and instead of just having beef with Mordecai, because Mordecai was a Jew, he decided, I'm just going to kill all the Jews in the whole kingdom. Whew. So when the Jews got this news that they were going to be killed, they started mourning, as we probably would as well. Mordecai, so back in their day, the way they mourned was they would wear burlap sacks, they would put ashes on their face, they would tear their clothes. And the Bible even says Mordecai was found crying and wailing at the gate of the king's palace. 
Now, Esther didn't know about this decree. Esther didn't know that this was happening. She heard about Mordecai at the king's palace in the courtyard, wailing and crying. And so she sent a messenger to see, like, what's all this about? What's all this fuss about? What are you doing? And so Mordecai sent the message back. He said, hey, this is the decree, and our people are going to die. So here's Esther's reply to this. It's in Esther 4. All the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman... Oh, I missed a spot. Sorry, we got to back up. So he sent a message back to her telling her about the decree and asking her to ask the king for mercy. So she's, he's asking, Mordecai's asking Esther to talk to the king for them. Now, back to Esther 4. All the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned... The king has but one law, that they be put to death unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their lives. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply back to Mordecai. Go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. Now, the best way I could imagine what this was like in modern day would be as if one of us were to approach a pres our president unannounced. There are secret service agents. There are protections in place that we could absolutely be killed. So here comes Esther's moment of truth. She has decided to take a step of courage. She decides to approach the king. And he presents the golden scepter, so he welcomed her. You think she's going to ask for the king to free her people. So this is a great time for her to say, hey, free my people. Not Esther. She doesn't do this. Instead, she asks for him and Haman to come to a banquet that she's going to throw for just the three of them. And so the king accepts. And at the banquet, the king asks again. This is what he says. Now, tell me what you really want. What is your request? I'll give it to you, even if it's half the kingdom. Now, you think that would be a good time for Esther to make this request, but not Esther. She, you think she's going to ask it this time, but she doesn't. She asks, actually, for a second banquet. She, asks, she invites Haman and the king back for another banquet. And so they come. Now, at the second banquet of Esther, she exposes herself. This is when she says... I'm a Jew, and she basically calls out Haman's story, or uh, Haman's plan. Now, remember, up until this point, Esther, or the king didn't know that Esther was a Jew. So she, he was incredibly surprised at this point that he had basically put this decree out. He signed off on it, and he was really mad at Haman for basically creating this plan that was going to kill his wife, his queen. So he stormed out of the room, and when the king returns, he basically orders um, Haman to be killed, which he is. Now, that's not all, though. The story doesn't stop here. Esther actually risks her life again. 
She, and she begs for the king at this point to save her people. Here's what Esther 8 says. Esther again pleaded with the king, falling at his feet and weeping. She begged him to put an end to the evil plan of Haman the Agagite, which he had devised against the Jews. Then the king extended the golden scepter to Esther, and she arose and stood before him. Skipping down to verse 6. For how can I bear to see disaster fall on my people? How can I bear to see the destruction of my family? Now the story goes on and on, and I highly recommend you read the entire story and the entire book of Esther. Uh, But basically, the king grants the permission, and all of her people are saved. So that brings us to today's message. It's titled Esther, the humble hero. And I'm going to give you just a couple lessons to learn what we can learn from her story. But first, let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity and this time here today. I just pray that um, your Holy Spirit come. I pray that you open up hearts and minds and ears to what you have to say. I am your servant. I pray that you speak through me. And that all of this is done for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So make no doubt about Esther. She risked her life. It wasn't just an inconvenient decision or an uncomfortable choice that she made. She was putting her life in danger. She risked her life. Not once, but twice. But the thing I like about Esther is that she did it in a very different way than the other characters that we've heard about in this series. She didn't fight a giant like David. She didn't get thrown into a den of lions like Daniel. She didn't get thrown into the fiery furnace like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. No, Esther, she simply stepped towards the king. She approached a king, and she did so humbly and obediently. And that is still very courageous. I don't know. Uh, as I was reading this story, I was kind of thinking about me in my own life. I don't know if many of you know this, but I, even at five foot nothing, am a martial artist. I've done martial arts since I was very, very young. And so I've actually competed as well on a world level. My home group likes to kid with me that I'm a five-time world champion. <laughs> but this is a story, or this is a picture of one of my competitors. You may not be able to tell from the picture, but she, this is Sally Hines. This is like our modern day David and Goliath here. I am about five foot on a good day. Sally Hines is well over six foot. She's got me beat by at least 100 pounds. And so while I was competing, I would go tournament against tournament against her and other people like that. Now, you would think that that would be one of the riskiest things I've done in my life or the most courageous things. Not at all. No, that would make sense, but no. I have gone bungee jumping. I have gone skydiving. You would think that those are risky. No. The most courageous thing that I have done up to this point is, was in my home office with me and my husband filling out an adoption application when we chose to adopt our son, Kai. That was more scary than ever competing against Sally Hines or any of the crazy things I've done. So what about for you? I want you to think about how you are courageous. This is another thing I love about Esther. God made Esther the perfect person for this job. Courage doesn't always have to look like this big, loud extravaganza with an audience. Sometimes it's in those quiet moments between you and God. Uh, God made uh, Esther the perfect person. There was a lot of characters in this story that had a whole lot of ego, and they had a whole lot more power than she did. 
But God used her unique nature. Nobody else could have done what she did. She was made perfectly for that. She was put in that position perfectly. Her compassion led her to this pivotal moment. And so God brought her there, and then she chose to take it. She chose to step into courage. She chose to take the risk. Now, even though Esther was the perfect person, that, and, and she was placed in the perfect position that God put her in, she may not have thought she was. She had to take that leap. She had to step into bravery. She had to take a risk. Now, he's done the same for each of us, for each of you. He's made you as you are for these moments that are perfectly set up in your life for you to take a step of faith into. You may be put into your neighborhood, into your church, into your family, because you are the perfect person and the only you can do. So you may be more courageous than you think. I want, me, I want to ask you this. And if anything comes up, I recommend you jotting it down. What unique position has God put you in? And now that you're here in that position, what is he asking you to risk? Now, before Rose comes back up, here's your final fill-in. Each one of us has been designed for Esther moments. Again, each one of us has been designed for Esther moments. And in the word, just like Mordecai said in our story, perhaps you were made for a moment such as this. So I think she skipped over point one. Courage is not cookie cutter. That's your fill-in. <laughs> Thank you. So it's all good. Yeah, so we're all designed for Esther moments, to take a risk, to be courageous with humility. She did it with humility. So our second point for this morning is Esther risked everything for the love of her people. Esther loved her people. She not only went to the king one time, she went to the king two times and risked her life both times. There was a law against approaching the, approaching the king. So it was risky. It was scary for her. I'm sure it was intimidating for her to go to the king twice to ask him to free her people. Esther 8, verse 3, it says, Esther again pleaded with the king, falling at his feet and weeping. She begged him to put, him, to put an end to the evil plan of Haman the Agagite, which he had devised against the Jews. Then jump down to verse 6, for how can I bear to see disaster fall on my people? How can I bear to see the destruction for my, on my family? She was agonizing over this. She begged him. She didn't just ask him. She begged him to free her people. She loved her people. Her heart hurt for her people. So my question for you is, who are your people? Who does your heart hurt for? Who has God put on your heart? Who are your people? For me, it's my family. 
my husband and my kids, some of my extended family. I love my family. God has also put young adults on my heart. Clint and I have done young adult ministry for a long time. And just this year, we got to jump back into young adult ministry part-time to help out with young adults. And I love it. God has put young adults on my heart because I love to see them grow. I love to see them blossom. I love to see them go after God. Also, ladies of Lighthouse. I love doing women's ministry. I haven't always enjoyed this, but I enjoy doing women's ministry. God has called me to it. And again, I love to see women grow. I love to see them pursuing God and helping them in that process. And also the children of South Sudan. Clint and I have done ministry in South Sudan for the past 10 years or more. And we have seen these kids grow up to be young adults. And it's been a joy. And it's been an honor to see these kids grow up. We have these kids on the other side of the world that there are kids that we enjoy seeing and growing up. Another example in the Bible is Paul was a Jew, but he was called to the Gentiles. In Romans 15, it says, Yet I have written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again, because the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Paul was a Jew, but he was called to the Gentiles. He was called to minister to them, to pray for them, to be with them. He loved the Gentiles. They became his people. So who are your people? Who has God put on your heart? Is it the single parent? Is it the divorced, the widowed, the orphaned? Is it the lonely? Or the homeless, the brokenhearted? Who has God put on your heart? Once we know who our people are, we are called to stand in the gap for them. Esther stood in the gap for her people. She was willing to risk her life to ask the king to free her people. Harriet Tubman stood in the gap for her people, literally risked her life for them. Paul stood in the gap for the Gentiles. He was called to the Gentiles. He was ministering to them. He was praying for them. Paul stood in the gap. The story of David, we talked about David and Goliath. David stood in the gap for his people. And ultimately, Jesus stood in the gap for us. He literally gave up his life for us. 
Jesus stood in the gap for us. And then today, people who are in the military are standing in the gap for us. Whether they have served in the past or are serving now or in the future, they're standing in the gap for our freedom. People who are in leadership are standing in the gap. Parents standing in the gap for your kids. It's a responsibility. Teachers do it for students. Defending their kids, helping their kids, teaching their kids. I know teachers who pray for their kids. It's a ministry for them. So what does standing in the gap look like for you and for me? Sometimes it's interceding for them, it's praying for them, ministering to them. Esther asked her friends to fast and pray for her before she approached the king. Her friends stood in the gap for Esther. Mentoring, teaching, protecting, ministering, praying. What's God calling you to do? And just maybe he's calling you to do it because no one else will. What if no one else will do it? So your last feeling is people who stand in the gap are difference makers. We need to be difference makers. God doesn't call, he doesn't put us on this earth just to live life for ourselves. That's not why we're here. We're not here for ourselves. God put us here for a relationship and he put us here to make a difference. Just like Esther made a difference. Harriet Tubman made a difference. If you're a parent, you're making a difference. If you're in the military, you are making a difference. If you're a teacher, you're making a difference. If you're on this earth, you should be making a difference. So who are your people? I'm going to turn ministry time over to Tony in the beacon, and then Clint's going to come up here. So the part of the story that I think God highlighted to me um, during this service is the fact that Esther approached the king twice. Um, She went once to try to save her people and it wasn't quite enough and then she went a second time until finally her people were saved and so my question for I just think there might be someone here today who you have gone to bat for your people in the past you've already kind of done that and maybe it didn't go so well um And I just have a feeling that, you know, God may be asking you to go again. 
to try again, to risk it again. Because as long as we have breath, we still have a job to do, right? I mean, there are still things to do and we cannot look back at the past, the times that we have given, we have tried, we have risked and say, whew, glad that's over. God has a new mission for each one of us. God has people that he's calling us to, to help, to pray for, to intercede for each and every day. So what I want to do is just, I don't know if that really speaks to anyone here specifically. I know that there's been times in my life where I'm like, I think I'm just kind of done with this. And God said, no, I, I still got more for you to do. I still got more for you to do. Um, but if that's you, I want you to stand and let me just pray for you real quick. Is there anyone where you're like, you know, you need to give it another go. You've given before, but now you need to give again. Is that anyone? That may have been more just for me. (laughs) Let's all stand for closing prayer. And if that was for you, I just want to encourage you. Don't give up. Continue helping people, even if you've gotten burned in the past. Continue to risk it. So God, I come to you and just thank you for this message. I thank you for this day. And Lord, I pray that we would be a people who risk our lives, who risk our comforts, who give up time and energy to help others, that we would care about others, Father, no matter what the cost may be. And Lord, if if there's anyone here today who's just wondering what their mission is or what their calling is or who their people are. Lord, I pray that you would make that clear to them today. Make it clear, God. So that we can be the kinds of difference makers that you are calling us to be, Father. So I pray as we lead here today that we would not be just thinking about ourselves, God, that we would be listening to your Holy Spirit and listening to those around us, Father, so that we know where we need to act and where we need to help. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you guys for being here today. If you have any prayer needs at all, feel free to come up and sit in the front row and our prayer team members will be glad to pray with you. But thanks for being here today. You guys are dismissed. Well, that's it for today's message. We hope we helped you know God more intimately. If you feel our ministry is helping you spiritually, feel free to find out more about us at lighthouseofvineyard.church. Thank you for being part of our family, and we will see you next time.